Like, I don't think having gone through that brain injury and stuff is more severe of a problem than, than anyone else's. That's Climber, Isomer Bylog, and this is the Wilder Mind My Podcast. Mind grows wilder when I stoke that fire inside. Hear the call in the distance. It's a long road worth your while. Hey, hi, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Wilder Mind Podcast. I am your host, Cody Camerlin, and thank you for being here with the pod on this journey on this earth. Today, I am so honored to bring you a very special episode in both form and content. Recorded live before an audience in the living room of Arcteryx in La Brea, Isomer and I discuss his near-death accident while attempting the first ascent of what was previously known as the Violence Project. I met ICE in Red Rock in mid-January of 2018. We were in the same group of friends all climbing for the weekend. I was actually still using a cane to walk around, as it was less than three months after my fall, which became a topic of conversation between the two of us, this connection we had, uh, both having taken serious climbing falls. But we really didn't keep in touch all that much after the trip. Random comments and story replies via Instagram. That was about the extent of all of it. And then, earlier this year, at Outdoor Retailer in Denver, we literally crossed paths. While we were catching up, Ice mentioned that he had listened to the podcast and thought it might be a great way to chat about the impact that his accident has had on him, his family, and his friends. Specifically, his outlook to safety. He said our connection, having both suffered from traumatic accidents and remaining committed to our craft while acutely aware of the risks, would make it easier for him to talk. Someone, he said, that could relate without judgment. I knew we had to have this conversation soon. His desire to share his message was deep. Something was stirring in him, and I felt it important to honor that. I had a spot reserved on the Arcteryx events calendar with the mountain athlete Tammy Faye, but unfortunately, due to unforeseen circumstance, she had to cancel. Don't worry, you'll hear from her soon. I'm not letting her off the hook that easy. In fact, as I was scripting this intro, I sent her a text letting her know that I'm bringing the show to her in Mammoth Lakes. Now, before the conversation, we were very fortunate to premiere the film Second Chance, produced by Hippie Tree, featuring footage of the fall and first-hand accounts from Seth Dan, and Medvis. These three friends went from climbing crew to Lifesavers that night. While the video is not yet available online, I will post the trailer in my Instagram story for several days and urge you to check it out. Now, about the accident. Isomer was going for the first ascent of a 25 to 30 foot boulder problem under the working title, The Violence Project. Today, it's known as a new wave. In climbing, first ascents are a risky proposition, and by any definition, doing so on a boulder this tall, what's referred to as a highball, is incredibly risky. This is territory where only a few tread. The consequences of falling from any highball are severe. This one carried with it a no-fall zone. Literally, don't fall, or there's a high probability 
that you're not going to walk away. Take an overhanging prow wider than a refrigerator and set it on the side of a mountain with a slope like a steep ski run. At the base of that boulder, place a giant sheet of rock followed by scree, loose rocks, and dirt all the way to the bottom of the mountain, which you can't even see. This was the no-fall zone of the violence project. Isomer was near the top of the boulder when he fell. First-hand account states that his head hit the ground first, and his body immediately went limp as he continued to fall nearly 80 feet down the mountainside. From this, Isomer sustained numerous injuries, including a subdural hematoma, life-threatening, epidural hematoma, often requiring immediate surgery, without which death is a likely outcome, fractured skull, broken ribs, and severe brain swelling, also known as a cerebral edema, life-threatening. Throughout this entire ordeal, Isomer laid there conscious, in certain agony. For several hours, waiting for the air rescue to arrive, in the frigid night, his friends remained by his side while he screamed in pain. In the words of helicopter medic Cameron Dickinson, I've been on the team about three years, been maybe even a hundred rescues. This will be one I remember for the rest of my life. You'll hear Ice and I reference a few people that are important to both of us that were there the night of the recording. Isomer mentions Kate and Pete, that's Kate Mullen and Peter Stedman, the owners of the Stronghold Gym, where Ice has been a team member, perhaps rather stated family member, for many years. You'll hear more about that and from Kate directly in the show. And Kate, it was an absolute treat to chat with you before the episode. You are an incredible human being. I make mention of Joey Maloney. He was there when I had my fall, and upon my request, he filmed the entire life flight rescue. He was there in the hospital after and has been my trusted track climbing partner on some of my proudest descents. It's safe to say he's one of my closest friends. What you won't hear are the normal narrations. It's important that this tape run as recorded with the cadence of the conversation, the reactions and hum of the crowd. It was an evening of high emotion. Laughter was shared and tears were certainly shed. I want to thank Hippie Tree for allowing us to screen this film and Arcteryx Labrea for hosting this event. And a big special thank you to Annie Sue for reaching out with this special opportunity. And Ice, my friend, thank you for trusting me to help share your message. It means a heck of a lot. While I wish you could have all been there with us, I'm really glad you're here now. And be safe out there when you're outdoors in these wild spaces so that you can continue to be here with us for a long time to come. Because I'll be doing this for a long time to come. Now, let's do the damn thing. Yeah, so again, I'm really excited to, to be able to chat with Isomer about um, the Violence Project, which became a new wave. Um, but I think it'd be fun to, to step back a little bit and find out how you got into climbing in the first place and what led you to, to highballs um, in particular. Yeah, uh, I was in high school. I was pretty heavy. I was like 176 pounds because I was like into rugby at this time. I was like 16 or whatever. And uh, my best friend, Tobin, got back into climbing 
his dad was like a, you know, did all the Seven Summits Club. Oh, yeah. So he peaked all the uh, highest summits in each continent and was always into climbing and stuff. And mountain. He was part of the Al Caltech Alpine Club back in the 70s. I oh, think, wow. Too. Yeah. And so he took Tobin out to climbing gyms here and there. And then Tobin and my best friend Dylan uh, got really into it for like half a year. And then, uh, you know, because they were my best friends and I wanted to hang out with them, I went to the gym. I didn't understand it at all. I like didn't finish a V0 my first time for sure. I was too scared. And then uh, it took like a month, I think. And then uh, I only went because they were always there. I wanted to hang out with them. I'd be like, hey, let's go to this kickback or like party. And they're like, we're going to train. I'm like, that doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> and then like, there are times I've left parties at uh, like 11 p.m. on a Saturday or like, not on a like, like just late at night. And then I go back to like the strong climbing gym and like train because I was allowed to like stay there after hours and like train for like, <laughs> till like 2 a.m. or something. That's awesome. Because I was like, Ugh. yeah, which is, is really funny. Uh, and then it wasn't until I went outdoors to like it made sense to me, which was like a year later. I think the first place I went to was out in Big Bear. This guy, Joe DeLuca, who's currently like rebolting all of Holcomb. Yeah. Uh, he took me out and showed me the boulders he put up and stuff. And uh, In Big Bear? Yeah. And uh, that it started, it made sense to me. I was like, oh, this is yeah. cool. And uh, I've put like all the time into <laughs> to this day still. Where in Big Bear? Uh, I don't know. I have the GPS coordinates though. So Interesting. I can send them to, yeah. I can send them to you. <laughs> I'm like very, um, I'm at the will to Google Maps. So <laughs> I just let. Well, so when you went to Big Bear and it started to make sense, were those mainly like standard height boulders or were you already like playing on some of the more like oh no not at stuff? all i didn't yeah no i was you know definitely didn't know how to fall yet and like it's easy to sprain your ankle and stuff oh, for like sure. that yeah yeah so what was your first highball then was that like emerald city where like a lot of people experience the first time or at the tramway yeah it was definitely one of the first yeah for sure yeah that's a good one that's a, yeah yeah for sure uh but what drew you to highballs in particular, though? Because there aren't many of uh, us that prefer them. <laughs> well, I'm not like uh, genetically gifted. And uh, my parents like didn't put me in sports or anything when I was growing up. So I just wasn't like physically meant to do like sports and stuff. <laughs> or, I don't know. I just like wasn't trained to do it. Uh, and the thing is, is like I couldn't climb hard like my friends. Like my best friend Dylan could like one arm couple months after climbing and you know climb v10 in a year and all this kind of stuff and here i am like Yikes. trying to climb my first v4 or whatever you know yeah even though we've been climbing kind of the same time and so i guess the taller stuff did it for me you yeah. know i was like well if i can't climb hard like i'm gonna try to climb taller try yeah, you know do and, then scarier. I, and then i uh just fell in love with it all I, I, and that's an interesting concept at least I don't boulder that much anymore, but when I did, I wasn't particularly great at it because body movement didn't make sense to me and I just wanted to climb higher. So I was kind of in the same boat where a lot of my friends, we started about the same time and they were progressing closer to the double digits and I was not, so I just started doing highballs. Like, it was kind of nice. a way to be tough. I'm like, oh, well, I can go climb something scary because it's tall and it's also a V0, yeah, right, right. so it's easy. Um, and uh, 
but I never got quite to the level of stuff as far as difficulty that you're working on and your climbings. When we met in Red Rock, you had a project you were establishing out there. Is that right? Am I getting that correct? In Red Rocks? Or were you Maybe just not. out there just bouldering? I think it was just bouldering. I'm not sure. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I had a brain injury, so like I don't <laughs> remember well. Maybe I should ask everybody else and they can tell me later, but I want to know how often you've used that huh? as an excuse. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, I did have a brain injury, everybody. <laughs> uh, yeah, my girlfriend says often. <laughs> <laughs> well, so Joey was um, present when I fell, and we've done quite a few climbs since then together. And I've probably used um, my sore ankle way more than he would appreciate me having used it. Pretty much every time I'm like, tired and don't feel like leading something, I'm like, Joey, my ankle is super sore, man. <laughs> like, you remember when I broke it? Yeah, here's the rope. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> um, yeah, so everyone's hopefully emotionally a bit more recovered from watching the video now. So I think it'd be interesting if you just walk us through that whole process of finding a violence project and then, you know, in particular that day, um, and just everything leading up to that moment. Uh, yeah, so initially my friend Jeffy March and I, and uh, one of my friends, Ajith, we were at the Palm Springs Railroad Tramway, uh, hiked around looking for new stuff to climb, and uh, we were hiking a while, and Ajith and I found something cool, and we were psyched, Jeffy was down the hill, and then I hear him shouting at me like, Ice, you gotta come down here, you gotta come down here. I'm like, cool, I can't wait to tell him what we found, you know? Like, this is sick, I got pictures, this is gonna be really cool. And then he shows me this fridge thing, right? The, the, what I called the violence project. And I was like, oh my God, Jeffy, this is perfect. This is amazing. Like, oh my gosh, like I can't wait to come back and clean this and, and try it. And you and I battle out for the first ascent or you have it because you found it, like whatever. Uh, and then, you know, we go back and clean it and I'm on a rope trying it and stuff. And, uh, you know, set up a top rope and uh, I remember Jeffy telling me, yeah, I said, I'm not going to do this without a rope. And I'm like, in my head, I was like, you're crazy. Like, what are you thinking? Like, really? You're just going to give this up? Like, this is incredible. You know, I, I didn't, it didn't make sense to me. And uh, in the topper process, I don't know if, if you notice in the video, there's like a big tree right there. Yeah. I took a couple back splats into that. Mm. If you fall quite early, you just like back and then like spin a couple times. <laughs> that was like really scary. Uh, but uh, yeah, it didn't make sense to me. I, and uh, I forget why it wasn't there, but maybe because he didn't want to witness, <laughs> witness that for good reason. But uh, yeah, I definitely reckless attitude about it all. Like, I mean, well, how many times did you go up on top rope? Uh, I think I had three sessions of like rehearsing it before that day. And that day, uh, it was a long day. Uh, it started, uh, Dan picked me up at my place at the time in Boyle Heights next to the Stronghold and drove out there, got the first tram, like met up with Seth and, and, uh, and Medvis and stuff. And we were, 
just climbing all day. You know, Seth and Medvis, I mean, uh, Seth and Dan wanted to get photos of me and Medvis climbing some stuff we had established. And then I was like, uh, like, it's really hot, so I want to wait till the end of the day to try my project. And then I was like, I kind of, kind of like mildly sprained my ankle in the beginning of the day too on this thing I was trying to repeat. It was like a, like a, it wasn't tall, but it was like a weird landing. And I was like, oh, maybe I shouldn't do it, like in my head, you know? But I was like, whatever, they're here. Uh, you know, this, yeah, is the, right. this is the first time I ever went outside of Seth, by the way. Like I've worked with him for at least almost two years. And this is the first time we ever went outside together. Damn. So Seth's a champion. I don't know yeah. why he still talks to me. <laughs> <laughs> like, honestly, I have no idea why, you know? Uh, yeah, I get that. <laughs> he's crazy. I, I don't, I, I put him through so much. It was his first time outside of me. We haven't climbed outside since. Like that, that hasn't happened <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Uh, I understand. I, I always wonder why Joey still climbs outside with me. <laughs> I think he's just desperate for partners. Uh, <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, and then uh, I do remember, like, I remember the whole entire day, which is crazy. I remember it was probably, like, just, like, 10 a.m. or 11 a.m. or whatever. Seth pulls out this, like, beautiful-looking peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I'm like, oh, what's that from? He's like, yeah, my wife and I made this bread. I'm like, that's sick. <laughs> I want to make my bread, whatever. But, you know, I remember the whole entire day. Like, it's insane until... I mean, I hiked them out there and I set up a top rope and I do it cleanly first try. And I'm like, sick, let's drop it. Like I'm ready. It's going, yeah. You know? Uh, and I remember, you know, telling Dan, I was like, I mean, Dan telling me, hey, Ice, I'm not comfortable with this, you know? And I was like, dude, don't worry about it. Like I've rehearsed it. You know, I'm ready. This is going to be awesome. I'm psyched. And, you know, the worst thing happened. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I almost uh, don't ask this question because I, I get it, you know, myself and there's, it's hard to answer, but it's always curious to know what's going on in your mind at the time, right? Like you're not thinking about falling. It's not an option. It's not even something you're concerned about. You're just going for it. Um, but do you remember that left hand going up at all and not sticking? No. So I remember everything, but, but before I climbed it. Everything perfectly, even like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, pretty much probably like some. Pretty sense much just like, like a couple of weeks after the accident, I just you know wow. when I wanted to think of, well not wanted to think about but I could think about it. Yeah. Like I remembered everything, except that point. So there has to be some sort of trauma, psychology, brain center, something there happening, right? That's blocking it to protect yourself. I don't know anything about that stuff. But. I'm assuming it's all the all the drugs that. The doctors gave and the surgeons gave me. Yeah. Because uh, I definitely experienced amnesia since the, since I fell or like before, right before I fell to like eight or seven days later. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Because your head smacked first and you slid for like another 60 or 80 feet, right? That's what, yeah, that's what Seth Dan Memphis said. Jesus. And so you don't remember like laying there, you don't remember what they talked about screaming, the no. helicopter, any of that? No. Well, and the, and, and the the thing I think about is like, if I did, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't be climbing anymore, you know? Yeah. I yeah. I'm like very, obviously very lucky. I don't remember any of that because that, 
that could that sounds very traumatic you know yeah and it is like, yeah. yeah yeah i probably wouldn't climb anymore i didn't think it was <laughs> if a i remember deal, that you know but i don't yeah but i'm lucky to not have remembered any of that that's that was the moment that that i realized something bad had happened when i saw the helicopters coming over because until then i was like okay i've broken bones before whatever this is fine and then you see a helicopter, you're like, shit, this is actually pretty bad. Like, this means something's <clears throat> gone catastrophically wrong. Um, so it, it does make it a lot harder to go back. But at the same time, I didn't suffer intense brain injuries. I didn't realize you had eight days of amnesia after that. Yeah. Wow. It was crazy, like, waking up, and then you're like, oh, the way I, old high school friend is here. I haven't seen in, you know, a lot of years because he doesn't climb. <laughs> <laughs> right? Uh, you start you know, seeing friends and then you just had like seen. different family. I'm like, what's going on? Oh, I'm in a hospital gown. Oh my, what the heck is going on? Wow. Uh, yeah. That's on. I don't think that many people can understand what that is like to wake up. And, and I hope they don't. Yeah. It's, and what, like, how about motor functions? I mean, how was that when you woke up? Uh, well, I didn't attempt to walk for at least a week and a half uh, until I went, until they transferred me to the uh, rehabilitation center. Wow. And, and then did you have lower body uh, injuries as well? Or was that essentially like your brain just wasn't firing? And Well, that's crazy. Like, I guess we'll keep repeating this, how lucky I am. In the video, I'm talking about how, like, this is, like, leg-breaking territory. 100% it is, yeah. Arm-breaking. I didn't break anything, just my ribs, well, in my head, but, like, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like, it's, I'm, I, I can't believe it, because if I broke my leg, I would have been w out way longer, you know? Yeah. Like, half a year, at least, or maybe longer, but I didn't break anything, like, you know, legs or arms or limbs or anything like that, so. Wow. Uh, that's crazy. It's insane. It's insane. I don't understand. Yeah. Uh, I mean, in that regard, I mean, it, it's, it feels weird to say, but the slope probably saved you in that way. When you hit, you just stayed in that position. Or maybe it's like, so fast. well, I mean, I, uh, I think I was like 17. I fell asleep at the wheel and like <laughs> crashed into a light pole and it like severed my car in half. Uh, I mean, I woke up mid-crash, uh -huh. but what everyone was telling me because like I was asleep, my body was all limp and, and I'm, that's why I was like, that's probably what happened to me when I hit my head. Like, oh yeah, I hit you my head and then everything was just yeah. like soft. I didn't so much we in common. I flipped my car like four nice. years ago. I mean, I'm <laughs> nice, but like, no, that's pretty we're like We're like, yeah. we're like connecting, At, like, you know? like 50 hit a tree, just boof, bam, like I'm done. glad you're okay with that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Man, we could go on about all these. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, so I'm just, I'm just gonna say that's why maybe, or? Yeah, wow. And so when you're going through that in the rehab process, cause we've actually not talked about any of this. I, I know we've talked before OR, before this, we've talked about the actual accident, but that whole rehab period, that, how long was that? I mean, can, can take us there? Cause that had to be wild. I mean, it was, de <laughs> Uh, well, you know, doctors and nurses and therapists and stuff at first, uh, you know, they, with traumatic brain injuries, they don't know really what might happen, you know, and what your recovery timeline is like. So 
I already had it in my head that like, wow, my poor parents are gonna have to take care of me for the rest of my life. You know, I might not be able to have normal functions again, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, uh, the whole reason, I guess the word, like why I felt the worst about it was that like, it was a burden on my family, you know, and my friends too, like, and where I was working and, uh, just everything. It was just, uh, definitely a lot of guilt, uh, and still today, I mean, it's a burden I'll carry for the rest of my life, but you know, it's, it's a small price to pay yeah. for being okay and being able to enjoy life. Yeah. Uh, so. But it, it changes you a lot. I mean, cause you're right. Yeah, it is I mean, I had you accepted, carry. you know, cause I was like, this is, this is the name of the game. Like this yeah. is what happens when you try to do climbs right. that have this high risk. Like you're willing to accept that okay, you might get seriously injured or die or whatever. Uh, and this is the price you have to pay. And I was like, yeah. you know, it sucks. If I didn't, uh, I was definitely selfish and well, and also like, you know, I was diagnosed with depression since I was 15 or whatever. And I guess climbing has been very helpful in that. And I was like, you know, at the time I was just like, you know, no one cares about me. Like, who cares? Like, it's, it's me, you know, yeah. I don't care if, I pass away, whatever. Yeah, people get wanna, over it, right? I just want to yeah. climb high balls and dangerous stuff. Like that makes the most sense to me, you know. Uh, and until you like see people, you know, come out and and support you and in tears and you know, my mom didn't eat for a week. Yeah, you know, and she'd go to work and drive a hundred miles to see me uh, for a whole week and whatever, and then just realized like, wow, I was just like a selfish asshole. Yeah. <laughs> it's like messed right. up to think that way, you know? And it's like, I mean, for everyone, it's like, even if you think that like no one, people do, you know? Yeah. People, there, there are people that do. And yeah. that was proven to me, you know? And uh, it's a big slap know, in the face go. because you feel, um, you feel like you're invincible because no one cares. So it's like, well, it doesn't matter. Like, I, like you say, I can go do this thing that I really enjoy. You're kind of battling whatever's maybe internalized that you're not dealing with. And then you don't really deal with it, but you get that rush. And then that moment of when you're, when you're on a high ball or you're soloing, you're kind of in that Zen state. So everything makes sense. And then afterwards, there's so much adrenaline, you've done it, you're just kind of tired and you don't have to think about all the stuff that's going on. Um, and you combine that with which I understand that thinking no one's gonna care. Like if I just disappear, I just disappear. Um, and then when you realize that people do care, then you have to reckon with that. Like, all right, so these people show up for this. They show up when you're in the hospital and they're there when you're recovering, but you still wanna go do that. And you still you know, are willing to risk everything for this craft you love. Um, so it's probably a hard feeling to unpack, especially when the people that care about you and that you, know, you share your life with are here, but you know, what, what does that take for, like, for you now? Because you still go and, and you, you, know, you push it in high balls. You wear a helmet, which is great. Um, but that's one thing you and I talked about, that we both understand that. Um, but uh, I think that's hard for people to, to get that don't have it. Uh, yeah, well, this is kind of good. I have done 
a lot of uh, very dangerous climbs since then, since since this, uh, and uh, not to where I would like, you know, die or anything like that, but you know, worst case scenario, I break my leg, break an arm, or or something like that, but. Uh, I'm still willing to risk that, you know? I'm like, this for me is worth it to break my arm or something. Mm -hmm. And if I do, then I'll live with it and I'll, I'll try again. Yeah. Uh, Better to live with the consequence than not do it at all, right? I just, uh, I don't know, for me it's, I put it simply, like, I, I'm in love with this, this line, this rock, or whatever, and I want to climb it, and, okay, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna try it. I, yeah. I still don't know how to explain it, but I would never put myself in a position where it would be fatal. But, um, I'm not gonna say I'm happy to, I don't know. I just I can't explain. It. I uh, maybe this is why I'm like rope climbing a bunch right now because I just like need to get high. <laughs> yeah, you know? totally. That's why I uh, try. Like, I'm rope cli climbing a lot right now, <laughs> but but so I mean fatality. How do you know. measure the 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 chance of fatality versus this is still a really clean and inspiring line? Because I mean, let's say it's a 35 foot unestablished high ball. 35 feet, you could die. But if it looks like everything's safe and it looks like it's going to go and the landing's good and you don't rig a net, is that still something that, I mean, you're going to go for it, right? I mean, what's that, what's that measure? Uh, well, me, I, I mean, I compare it to like deciding to drive on the freeway. Like I uh, minimize the, all the risk as, like, as much as possible. Like um, I've fallen a lot on big dangerous things before that accident and I've walked away unscathed mm -hmm. or just like compressed spine or something like that uh, on a lot of things. You ask any of my friends or whatever. Uh, I mean, there there's like one or two people that won't climb any with me anymore because mm -hmm. of my like young and reckless attitude or whatever. <laughs> I was like, fall off this like 30 foot high ball and I'm, I'm, I'm okay. Like, yeah. cool, I'm gonna <laughs> try it again. Yeah. Uh, and that's kind of the mentality I had before trying a uh, new wave because uh, I thought I was invincible. Clearly it wasn't. And uh, the thing is, is like, you know, I'll, I don't like grounding up high balls anymore, you know? Uh, I'll take a rope, I'll clean it, I'll make sure that all the rock is solid. Hell yeah. Uh, and I've fallen enough to know how to fall well. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not gonna flip over and fall on my head. Uh, and I feel like it moves that's here, I'm not gonna do it. Yeah. Uh, so there's thing of like that, and I'll do a thing like I did this. I did this thing called Flight of the Bumblebee at the Buttermilks. Yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. like I don't know, 30, 35 feet or whatever. Yeah, but I think I had like twenty five crash pads under me, and I rehearsed <laughs> it on a rope. You know, nice. Like I own, Dude, that's I awesome. own four big organic crash pads now. Hell yeah! You know, I spent all that money because I care. You know? Yeah, like, totally. Uh, so I'll do everything I can. You know, I just won't. Yeah. Uh, but 
I mean, that's the thing like that I want to share with people that do dangerous things, you know, it's like, uh, like that's great, but are you, do you, are you okay with like say breaking your leg and making work a living hell, you know? Mm -hmm. Like not being able to walk around well? Yeah. Are, are you okay with that? Like really, think about that. Yeah, like people need to be processing this when they go and- You know what I mean? Like- And do these activities. Like stuff like that, like, uh, I mean, simple thing is like making the habit of like double, double, like checking your knot like three times and checking uh, yeah. the player three times or whatever, you know? Yeah. Uh, you know, I have to, always have to constantly remind the kids I help coach and like, they're just like, why? It's fine. I'm like, just do it. Make it a just habit. Just do it. <laughs> Make it a habit. You don't understand. I agree. Because I mean, there's so many stories still of like pros and like whoever, like they're not in ties or or whatever, you Did know? not the end. They can slide like, off the end on repel, anything. With climbing, it's easy to get comfortable and it's easy, like there's so much fun to be had and there's so much good times to be had. It's it's easy to, to take you away from how serious it is and how inherently dangerous it is. Absolutely you know? agree. And there's still times where I've had to like catch myself and be like, yo, Ice, like, whoa, like back, like what are you doing, dude? You know, like. Well, and I think it's important that people understand like what being safe and how do I want to put this? You know, they look at, they could look at either of us and say, okay, you had an accident on a high ball or you had an accident soloing and you still do both those things. So you're, you know, they deem you unsafe, but you put as much, you mitigate the risk as much as you can. Exactly. Um, I climb, I only solo well below grade. You have a helmet on, you have a ton of pads and then you go out to the crag and you can see anybody who can afford a rope a harness and some gear and you witness some of the worst practices ever because you know people get comfortable they don't not they don't check they're back clipping not calling things out back step anything like that um but they think because they have a rope and some gear that they're being safe um but the safety is is such a big thing and i think when you have an accident you become so aware of it um so as a, as a coach i think it's i hate to use the word beneficial because your accent was so horrible but I, I do think it is beneficial that you had the accident and you can really, really drive home safety to these kids and the importance of it. Maybe not giving them your example, but simply because you understand how quickly everything can go wrong. Yeah, I definitely don't give my example because I'm not trying to like, yeah, have them not climb anymore or something, yeah. you know? Uh, but the thing is, I mean, I understand like a helmet's not gonna save my life. It can't, maybe it might, might will, but why not like my, one of my main client partners Hayden Miller, like, you know, he said something very profound. He wears a helmet all the time since my accident, bouldering and everything. And he's like, you know, why, why not do everything you can to keep doing what you love? Yeah, exactly. You know, and that, even though uh, I had this, that really hit it home for me too. Like just hearing him say that, I'm like, oh my gosh, like, <laughs> Yeah, when your friends say that stuff to you, it's really impactful. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, well, yeah. Like, yeah. And I don't know if she's still on there, but my friend Dory logged on, and we had a conversation. We were climbing in the Wasatch about how do we make safety cool, especially with how popular climbing is becoming. Like, I get that a helmet might not look as cool in the shot, but, you know, when your head's split open, it doesn't look as cool as if it's in one piece, right? Like, that sounds really crude to say to you, but, you know, I'm just... So it's like, it's really great that you wear a helmet, and... I still, after my accident, didn't wear one until Joey, who's sitting right there, would be like, dude, why is there not a helmet on your head? You're on a rope, you're on gear, 
and I had no good excuse. I couldn't say, oh, because it's comfortable terrain. Like, I fell on comfortable terrain. Like, there's no reason not to make it as accessible as we can so we can keep on doing it. Um, well, I mean, the thing is, is like, I'm always afraid of my story being like an inspiration in the way that like, oh, he got a traumatic brain injury. Now he's 100% fine. You gotta understand I'm the luckiest person yeah. ever, period. Yeah. Yeah. Period, period. There is this guy, uh, he was a member at the Strong Climbing Gym in Los Angeles, and he was, you know, top of his class at Keck Medical School, you know? And he was wearing a helmet, he was in Joshua Tree, uh, I think it was called, called Spider, Spider Line. Mm. It was like a 10A, uh, and, you know, he, a piece of gear popped, and, you know, he fell on his head, you know, cracked through the helmet, you know, and you know, it's on his way to becoming a doctor, you know, a, a, a job where you'd like help people for a living, you know? And, you know, his like recovery timeline's like in the years. Jesus. You know? Wow. I wasn't wearing a helmet, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm fine, you know? I have a friend, Thomas Ferrer. Uh, he was in grad school in Chicago and biking. You know, and someone opened a door on him, and then he got run over by a car. You know, and it, he's in the year timetable recovery. And like I got, you know, I got cleared by my neurologist 36 days after to go back to work. You know, kind of do whatever. Uh, and the thing is, it's like, you know, I'm gonna tell you, like, if you get an accident, like a you know, brain injury, that's not gonna happen to you. You know, <laughs> it's not. Yeah. And You're absolutely right. And yeah, I, I think that's unfair, you know, 100%. Like, I don't know, for example, like I was talking about Colin that, you know, is gonna be a doctor. Why, why the hell did he have that, you know? And me, I'm fine, you know? I, I don't know, I think about that a lot. Where it's like. What does that look like? Is, is, it, is it guilt? Is it just? Sure, it's guilt. But sure, it's like, you know, constantly trying to find a way to give back in a way, you know? Yeah. There's, there's, there's a big meaning in there, like trying to find a way to give back rather than beating yourself up for it and, and wondering why it's you. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, uh, you know, I accepted it. it's going to take time, but as long as I'm putting an effort. I would say you are because it, that's the whole uh, reason you approached me to do this is you said you wanted to talk about trauma and safety and the effects that our decisions have and how they impact everyone else, which is huge, especially for guys who could be assholes like us, you know? We don't understand until something really bad happens how our decisions impact everybody. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, simple thing is, is like, I know there's a couple people that don't have health insurance just because they can't, they don't want to spend their money on it or whatever, and it's like, man, you don't understand, like, I don't know, for example, it's like, okay, you get hit and you're like, oh, well, it's gonna cost a lot of money. And it's like, you know, maybe you think you're not gonna take care of it, but it's like, you know, there are people that care about you. Like say, for example, your parents or like your loved one or something, they're gonna take the burden on. Just know that, you know, you're yeah. connected to so many other people and they care enough to give, <laughs> yeah. to sacrifice themselves to help you out. Well, and you know, you know you've used burden multiple times and I, I, I think it's, 
it's such a real thing because even though you you recovered so quick and you're back doing it and you know you survived right there's still that sense of burden every time you go out and you do this you wonder what people are thinking like are they nervous that this is going to be a repeat that something bad is going to happen have you done everything you can to assure them you're safe and that what you're doing is as safe as it can be um at least i've had that sense is that has that been the experience that you've had no not really i know my <laughs> i know my parents are kind of like or they're definitely maybe just i should like, ask your girlfriend no, my, that's my, 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 par my parents are, my parents are definitely like out of sight out of mind you know <laughs> yeah. i only see them like once a month or, or you know they're like out of sight out of mind. i mean I, I talk to my parents a lot like through <laughs> through the phone and stuff but you know yeah <laughs> i mean that's just been with me since i was like a you know 11 or whatever yeah you know my i'd be gone at my friend's beach house for a week and then my mom texts or like calls me on a house phone i didn't have a cell phone at the time be like hey where are you i'm like oh i'm at like uh wherever, laguna beach or something she's like oh, okay bye you know <laughs> so i've uh i feel like i've been lucky with like my parents like trusting me yeah and still trusting me in the community all that trust is there and all that support is there and and you feel it more now than you ever did before, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely, I feel like it's definitely the same. Because everyone always had that support to begin with. And the love, mm -hmm. you know, I just didn't realize it. But you know it now. Until now. Well, I mean, I did, but like not as much yeah. until now. Yeah. You know? I mean, people are amazing. Yeah, they are. And I mean, we have amazing people here. And I think the cool thing having an audience is that if, anybody has any questions for ice about any of this um i we can plug a different uh, microphone in and then you guys can ask it and then uh so we didn't plug a different microphone in i just handed my lav mic um over to people so the transitions were kind of funky here first is melody hello ice hi uh, my question to you is, um, you know, we talk a lot about the physical aspects, the safety aspects, but what about the psychological aspects of taking this giant fall? I feel like a lot of people after going through this experience would either be, you know, too traumatized to get back to climbing, let alone get back on that exact same rock and finish that climb. For you, uh, what was your driving factor, your motivation to get back? I don't know. I was definitely pissing off all my friends and family because I was still talking about that climb in my like uh, unconscious state, like my amnesia state. Oh, wow. uh, I was like, I got to go back and I want to go back. And just everyone, I remember everyone being like telling me, you know, a lot about how mad they were because I was just like <laughs> uh, trying to get out of there. I mean, I even had like a, they even gave me like, I think it was purple wristband. So like the nurses would watch me 24 seven because I was trying to break out or whatever, and my dad would tell friends like, hey, hey, don't let him get out. And like, I'd plead my friends to like, get me out of here. Oh my gosh. Uh, or whatever, but uh, I knew I'd always want to do it in my lifetime for sure. Right. It was amazing. And like you said, unfortunately for me, I'd suffer no trauma of climbing. Mm -hmm. Like it's still, still the same with me. I still don't get scared or whatever, you know, I can get into that zone. It didn't change. Um, and I say, I mean, if I did remember, then I'm sure I would never climb again. Thank you. Actually, I have to ask way really fast. Did you, so did you actually try to escape your hospital room? Uh, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. That sound, I'm not surprised. They put that restroom, at all. They put that, they put that, I think it was purple wristband on me. So like the nurse had to like, you know, watch me wipe my ass, you know? <laughs> Holy crap. Like all the time or like shower, you know what I mean? Like, I was like, sorry, man. <laughs> That's great. And now you'll hear from Kate, who I mentioned in the intro, one of the owners of the Stronghold Gym. Hi, Hi Kate. Hi. <laughs> I'm just wondering, do you remember like the hospital, like, like um, when you were really like out of it? Do you remember us seeing you or like anything? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not the first time, but <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, def definitely. Maybe it was the second time, or, or yeah. I don't know, the yeah, movie really brought sweet. back a lot of memories, and it was just a really great thing to see your family like really supporting you. And like, I was so happy that you had the support system you had. It was just a really rough thing, and it was almost like um, it was like a little surreal because you looked okay, but you weren't okay. You know, I mean, you didn't look okay, but you weren't like your arms and your legs were okay. You know, you were still strong. Anyway, I just was wondering if you remembered all of that, like, time in the hospital. Not, uh, not all the time, but, like, I say three, three quarters. And, uh, yeah, I'll remember it for the rest of my life. How, yeah, you guys supported me for sure. Uh, yeah, and I think because Kyle's here, I remember an instance, and I apologize again, because I was definitely like out of the, I was back to work, but I was definitely like crazy. <laughs> I, think, I remember getting mad at Kyle for like a st stupid reason or whatever, you know, and uh, uh, you know, he put up with it and like understood. <laughs> like, I'm sorry again, uh, but you know, but you know what I mean. Like it was just, it was just so cool. Like I was working at a place where, uh, I mean, no one knows this, but you know, I was gone for a month, and they they paid me the whole entire month. I was, I was in the hospital. That was like the sweetest thing ever, you know, um, just because they they felt it was right, you know. And uh, yeah, no one knows that, you know. Yeah, uh, I'm glad people that, do now, though. And I, and I, and I, That's but, amazing. You know, but I thought that was, you know, this, <laughs> the sweetest thing. Yeah, it's their three-year plan. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I only gave you 20 bucks to say that. <laughs> it's the community, though, man. It's one of the best there is, and that, that shows it right there. Yeah, it definitely got me to be way more outgoing and, want, and wanting to do that, you know? Yeah. Um, Hell yeah, get back at it and give back and... For sure. Yeah. Because especially, you know, uh, especially now, you know, with Earth climate and the political climate and everything, like, you know, it's rough times, but, you know, deep down, we're all wanting all of us to succeed, you know, deep down. Absolutely. And you can find that. Absolutely. For sure. And like I say in the video, and like, I still believe this to this day, like, everyone has problems. Doesn't matter. Like, I don't think having gone through that brain injury and stuff is more severe of a problem than, than anyone else's, you know, Absolutely. you don't ever knew, know how someone grew up or what experiences they had or yeah. Yeah. I did cut some of the conversation out here, 
the final words, the way we end every podcast. In front of an audience, with all these people that care so deeply, I think it was a bit hard for Ice to get to that heavy message that he wanted to end with. So here it is, straight from him. I don't mean it to be dark, but it's like, you know, if, if you're gonna do something with a high risk, like do it with the intention that like you're okay with the worst possible outcome. You're okay with that, you're okay living with that. And, and get the bigger picture all, know who's involved, who all the players are, because it's, it's never just you, because there is someone that always cares. Hell yeah. Awesome, Ice. Yeah, Thanks, Thank man. you. Yeah, thank you. And thank you, everybody who came, showed up. It was awesome. Nice. Ice, thank you so much for sharing your story, sharing your trauma and your lessons with all of us. Thank you to everyone who braved the awful L.A. parking scene to join us that night, and to Hippie Tree and Arcteryx. And a special thank you to Alexis Tia for the amazing theme music and Finlater Creative for the best branding of any podcast ever. And to everyone who was along for this wild and crazy ride, wherever you are and whatever you're doing, to your wildest self, be true. What I don't know, I can't ignore what's inside of me. Illuminations on something bold, restless soul will follow.